Good morning. We have gathered to worship the living God. Uh, Mary Lynn and I flew back into Grand Rapids last night, and where would I rather be in uh, Michigan to worship God than with the uh, people of God here at Celebration Heart of Wyke. So glad to be a brief part of things this morning. Welcome you in that regard. Our opening call to worship, I wanted to take one of the Psalms, Psalm 145, and set it responsively uh, to gather our hearts together. We're after several things here. One is that we be brought together as one people, one voice, one heart, one mind in this way by work of the Spirit, but that in this gathering together, we might give praise to God. This would not happen this day if there was not a God or if God was not present. Think about that. We could go through this reading without any sense of God. But what we want to do is be gathered together and get focused on Him and His presence. So ponder that. Let's read responsively. All your works praise you, Lord. Your faithful people extol you. They tell of the glory of your kingdom and speak of your might, so that all people may know of your mighty acts and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and your dominion endures through all generations. The Lord is trustworthy in all he promises and faithful in all he does. Let's stand and sing together. Joyful, joyful, we adore thee. Please. Again, it's my joy to welcome those of you on site here where we gather together to worship the Lord, but also for those who'll be uh, participating by the live stream or recorded version of this, thank you for letting us join you where you are. I'm increasingly fascinated that the Holy Spirit would take this moment and make it available. But it's important to me that, again, we think of life together even beyond these walls. That guides the way we pray, and you'll see that uh, this morning. So I welcome you. Uh, just a couple of quick announcements. One, following the worship service, plans are uh, going, and folks were in making coffee for our fellowship time. I'm not going to do my typical kind of follow-up with the pastor Q&A time today. I, returning from a week away at the South Carolina beach with family and uh, my mother, her 90th birthday is next week, and this was the time for us to gather and celebrate that. She was having a great time Friday night, uh, all four of her children there with her and our spouses and things. Great time. So I appreciate being able to uh, get to that. I understand there was a chilly cook-off this past week. I entered but didn't win. We'll move on. <laughs> um, Ministry continues, Wednesday night, scandalous stories, discussion group, uh, ways to build life and relationship. Find a way to plug in, because uh, 
Even as we gather here, the relationships that carry on are real key. The faith that we have been given and that holds on to us, even as we hold on to it, is not simply our imaginations, but it, there's a content to it, a truth. We conform to it. And I love using the Heidelberg Catechism. This month we've been doing question number 21. And so let us reflect responsively on this content of the faith that's been handed to us. The question is this, what is true faith? And the answer, true faith is not only a sure knowledge by which I hold as true all that God has revealed to us in Scripture. It is also a wholehearted trust which the Holy Spirit creates in me by the gospel that God has freely granted not only to others, but to me also, forgiveness of sins, eternal righteousness, and salvation. These are gifts of sheer grace granted solely by Christ's merit. We pray that faith works in us to give us the very mind of Christ that we might follow in obedience. So let's sing that. May the mind of Christ my Savior. Amen. Amen. Be seated if you would, please. It's always uh, my commitment and habit to pray for the body of celebration. We have a long prayer list right now, so today I won't be naming every name from that prayer list, but I'll give opportunity for uh, me to set a theme, those who are grieving, for instance, and then you to pray in the silent sanctuary of your heart. I'm also committed to praying for Heart Awake as a ministry, um, increasingly convinced that what we need in this time and in this life is discernment, the ability to see where God is at work, to give our lives to that. Um, and that brings me to the point, I'm going to close this morning praying for uh, believers in the Ukraine. And it occurred to me as I've watched things unfold and I've, as I've thought about this moment to pray. It just really pressed deep in me that oftentimes we think of prayer as how do I speak to God with what I want or what I need in order to get that? I take my needs to Christ. Well, there's something to that, and the more that our needs and requests are consistent with the Word, His written Word, the Bible, the more we'll begin to see that flow of answers and guidance. But I've also learned over the years there's a change of posture that happens in prayer. One is, how do I speak to God with hopes and needs and things that I want? The other, it, how do I identify where God is at work in the world and through prayer join that? Now, that's something we need to do in humility. I'm not a prophet or a seer. I don't understand completely. But I know that to ask in prayer for what I need 
is different than to join with God in what he's doing. And you will hear in my prayer, and I'll borrow some of the words from Scotty Smith. Scotty has helped me pray from this second posture, pray from where is God at work in the world, and to give my life to that. I encourage you, um, ponder that distinction. Could this be a growth point, an opportunity for you, where prayer is a ministry where you join God at work? See, I wasn't aware this week until I dug in a little. Are you, you familiar that the Ukraine is the key mission-sending country for Protestantism in Eastern Europe and Russia? And for the past almost a year now, Vladimir Putin has been including in his speeches and is this growing tension with Ukraine, Russia's need for a spiritual security. Now we in the West, you know, spiritual security, what's spiritual? We just move on from that. People who don't believe there's a spirit aren't concerned about spiritual security. Let me suggest to you, and I don't understand this completely, but there is more going on in this war than we might first see. So what does it mean to join with what God is doing and give our lives to that? Shall we pray together? Oh Lord, our God and Father, we thank you that you have loved us and redeemed us and that the security of our life does not rest in our ability to understand or to know, but it grows out of a heart that's rooted in trust in you we thank you that you are the good shepherd and that as your sheep you've promised we'll recognize and hear your voice. And your voice can lead us and guide us and direct us, certainly as it leads us in and to your written word. But also in the decisions we make day to day, the words we speak, the way we pray, I ask Holy Spirit that you be a key part of our lives day by day, minute by minute. We pray together for Heart Awake Ministries, and we thank you for the way you're leading and equipping and guiding, not simply leadership, but your whole body to serve and to make Jesus known. And so guide our footsteps, fill us with a great hope. This morning we pray for Watershed, where uh, one of their own members, Luke Joyce, a deacon, member of our council, will be preaching today. Again, help us to equip every part of the body to answer your call and to serve. Uh, be with them as they worship as well. For fusion, will Pastor JB will bring the word. We pray for that uh, part of our congregation, our larger uh, ministry. Be with JB and Sarah as she leads, that together Christ might be lifted up. And for Pastor Florencio, Father, we thank you for the work of Mission that'll, and the ministry that will happen right here. We continue to pray that your gospel would spill out all across our community. You've called us, Father, to be and to identify as celebration. Thank you for the work you've done among us and in us across decades, even a century now. Continue to bear fruit, harvest upon harvest, season upon season. Bind us together as your people, not identical in our convictions and practices and comfort zones, but born together in you, that the world might see our differences and marvel at what holds us together. We know that's you and the work you did at the cross, Jesus. So we pray for the people of celebration. I pray first of all for those who are working with a medical need and condition. They've had a hard diagnosis or a short-term need. We pray for those who have need for healing grace. And Father, for those who are recovering, sometimes that's as hard as the discovering and the need for healing. We pray for strong recovery, restoration to joy and to service. Father, thank you for the good work of doctors and nurses and staff, all who are committed to the work of uh, healing and health. What a season it's been for them. And uh, we stand with and encourage them in that work as we pray for them. 
Father, we pray too for those who grieve, who face loss, who now are walking through that valley. Meet them that they might not stay there, but, but learn even in the valley of your goodness. Bring them to new and lush pastures, for you are the good shepherd. Father, we thank you for the authorities that you've instituted in our life. We pray for them, that you would guide them, particularly be with our council and those leaders and our staff who serve by pointing the way forward and saying, come, let's follow Jesus together. Father, we pray for missionaries who go out from here to the utter ends of the earth and join every church, for in you there's a call to the, the gospel to every tribe and tongue and nation. Father, we have heard war of wars and rumors of wars, and now we watch them play out in Eastern Europe. And so with Scotty Smith, we would look to the scripture in Isaiah 11. The wolf will live with the lamb, the leopard will lie down with the goat, the calf and the lion and the yearling together, and a little child will lead them. They will neither hear nor harm nor destroy anywhere on my holy mountain, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Lord Jesus, our hearts break, our anger is growing, and our fears are real. The evil we are witnessing in the Ukraine feels, f fuels our longing for the fulfillment of Isaiah's vision. How long, O oh Lord, how long? Have mercy, King Jesus. We pray for the church, for the children, and for the citizens of the Ukraine. We pray for the growing masses of Russian citizens protesting this horror. Jesus, hasten the day when all enmity, strife, and violence will be gone forever. No more wars or even rumors of wars. All selfishness, all racism, tribalism, trafficking, all of these things have an expiration date. May they end. As you have promised, they will neither harm nor destroy anywhere. Thank you that your entire every nation bride will love one another even as you love us, Lord Jesus. Hallelujah, what a glorious and by the cross guaranteed hope. Hurry the day when your glory will cover the earth like salt water covers the oceans of the world. The day when knowing the Lord won't be something we do, but it will be who we are. The day when we will finally and fully love and worship you with everything we have and are. Father, we give our hearts to that calling and to that promise. And may it center our prayers. We now join with one heart and one voice, just as Jesus taught us to pray using these words. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen and amen. Corey, come up if you would, please. Corey will be preaching this morning. I'm very thankful for you to have this opportunity with his ministry. Um, next week, we will actually be installing him to a ministry with Movement Western Michigan, but it's a great opportunity for Hardwike to invest in people with a calling on their life and to send them into the community. So I'm glad for us to get to know him. I'm glad to have had the week off, man. <laughs> I'll be honest about that too. And I'm glad we're all going to be well cared for and fed this morning. Grace to you, Corey. Well, thank you. Thank you, Bill. Thank you, Celebration, for having me here with you this morning. Uh, it's my second time here, which is always a good sign. The first time is always a joy to be here. The second time is even more of a joy uh, because it means that I'm welcomed back, which is a delight. Uh, so this morning, we are going to uh, jump into uh, the series that, that you have been walking through, looking at these scandalous stories. We're going to turn together to Matthew chapter 13, verses uh, 44 through 46, where we see two brief parables told side by side by Jesus. 
Matthew 13, 44 through 46, this is what we read. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. Friends, this is the word of the Lord to which we can say together, thanks be to God. One of the most important lessons I ever learned in life, I learned as a sophomore in high school from my debate coach. If you can't guess from just about everything about me, I was a bit of a nerd. And uh, I was heavily involved in our high school's debate team. And we had a new coach as a 16-year-old, as a sophomore in high school, and she had the, the fun task of dealing with four squirrely teenage boys who were also all friends with each other, and who sometimes got on each other's case. And there was one day in particular where we had been having a, uh, a, a rather intense debate with one another, and my very good friend, who is, remains my friend to this day, almost passed out. He was so angry at me because I just kept poking him and prodding him and goading him. And she finally stops it and looks at us all and says, don't be a jerk. And she said, if there's one thing that I hope you learn from me that has nothing to do with debate and everything to do with your whole life, don't be a jerk. And that stuck with me. In some ways, a really simple lesson, but in other ways, one that we often forget. And one that I have seen, seen play out in other ways that go far beyond just the interactions we have between friends or with one another. You see, as I've progressed in my life, one of the ways in which I've seen this and where I just keep coming back to that lesson that Thelma taught me as a 16-year-old often has to do with the ways that we function as people of faith. When I was in college, I managed a restaurant, and the, the owners of the restaurant were husband and wife, and the wife was a devout Catholic. Every, every weekend, she was at the local Catholic church worshiping with their body. This was a core part of who she was. And her husband wanted absolutely nothing to do with the church. And if you were ever to get him to actually tell you why, and he was always a little guarded about it, but we figured out, I figured out over the years that I knew them, that it all came down to one family member who, in the opinion of this individual, was just the biggest jerk. And yet wrapped himself in his faith. And for my boss, my friend, his experience of this follower of Jesus Christ made him say, I want nothing to do with that Jesus. And I'm going to guess that most of us gathered here this morning, gathered online with us today, that we could point to somebody in our lives who we know, a friend, a child, a grandchild, an aunt, an uncle, somebody who has walked away from the Christian faith, not because they don't love Jesus, but because their experience of Jesus has been mediated by and through jerks. Which brings me to the scandal of the story that we find in these two brief parables. When Bill first contacted me and asked if I'd be willing to preach this Sunday and said, uh, we're going to be talking about the parables of the lost treasure and the, and, the, and the pearl of great value, honestly, my first thought was, oh man, those are tough ones to preach. 
because in some way they feel so simple. Right? Believe it or not, for your pastors, the simple passages sometimes are the scariest because you're like, how do I say something new about this really straightforward passage? Right? My, my five-year-old just learned this story this week, the parable of the lost treasure. And the, the lesson that he was taught was Jesus is the greatest treasure. He is worth everything, and we should give our entire lives so that we can have this greatest treasure that is Jesus. All right, sermon's done. I like this guest preacher. He's done by 925. All right? What more is there to say? Sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm not that short. I've, I, I will always find more to say. See, I think when we look at this parable... Part of what we remind ourselves of is that Jesus doesn't say, my love for you is like a treasure hidden in the field. He doesn't say, my grace for you is like a treasure hidden in the field. He doesn't even say, the gospel is like a treasure hidden in a field. No, he starts with a simple phrase, the kingdom of God is like. And that brings me to a core question that that the first time I heard this question asked, it transformed my understanding of the message of Jesus Christ. And that was this question, where is the gospel in the gospels? Where is the good news in the gospels? Because when we stop and think about it, Jesus, if I were to ask you, uh, just for this moment, if you were to close your eyes and define in your mind what is the gospel, just think for a moment, how would you define what is the gospel? Go ahead and open your eyes. As a pastor, anytime you ask people to close your eyes, always ask them to open them. I would imagine if I were to poll you and say, hey, how did we define the gospel? We would probably come to something along the lines of Jesus Christ died on the cross to forgive us of all of our sins so that we can have eternal life, be made right with God now and forever. And and that's a, a, a... a very, very important part of the gospel, absolutely, fundamentally is. And yet nowhere in the gospels does Jesus say, the good news is that I have come so that I will die so that you can have forgiveness of sins, right? Jesus does public ministry for three years, and yes, he points to a message of the forgiveness of sins. Yes, he points to his death and resurrection that are going to come. But over and over and over throughout his public ministry, what Jesus does is he talks about, he preaches about, he tells stories about the kingdom of God. And one of his most clear definitions of the kingdom of God comes in Luke chapter 4, the very first time that Jesus teaches publicly. In Nazareth, the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, the spirit of the Lord is on me. Because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind. To set the oppressed free to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began by saying to them, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. And from there, Jesus is going to spend his walking and talking life talking about and living out a message of good news for the poor, healing for the sick, comfort for the brokenhearted, hope 
for the hopeless, joy for the joyless. The kingdom vision that Jesus puts into action over and over again throughout his public ministry, this kingdom vision is about so much more than any one person being made right with God, but it is about good news for all people. It is about the entirety of the system being fixed. It is about every wrong being made right from the bottom to the top. It is about shalom the way things ought to be. And Jesus, in his public ministry, lives into this vision of the kingdom. And over and over and over again, he says, this is what the kingdom of God is like. And when we capture that vision of what the kingdom of God is like, we find that it is something worth so much more than anything we could imagine or conceive of. It is a, a, a treasure that is worth immeasurable cost. In other words, the scandal of this story, the scandal of these two parables that Jesus teaches side by side is that there is hope in a world that is broken. That there is a big picture of what God is doing in the world, even when it seems hard to see. And even when it feels like the evil in the world is overwhelming, even when it feels like we can't possibly see hope brought to the hopeless and joy brought to the joyless and good news for the poor and food for the hungry and, and, and healing for the sick and all of the ways that we need this world to be made right again. Jesus says it is possible. It is able to be found. And when you find it, when you capture this big picture vision of what God is doing, it is so much beyond anything that we ever could have conceived or imagined. The Christian Reformed Church has a document called the Contemporary Testimony called Our World Belongs to God. And it begins by saying, in a world which some view with despair and others seek to control, we declare with joy and trust our world belongs to God. And what I find fascinating about that is that this contemporary testimony was actually written at the height of the Cold War. And it was a countercultural claim to make in the 1970s that in a world which some view with despair, which some of us just want to throw up our hands and say there's nothing that can be done to make things better, we are going to declare with joy and trust our world belongs to God. In a world in which some seek to control it. And some of us this week are wrestling with that feeling that we are watching imperialistic aggression on a scale that we thought we were long beyond as a world and as a global society. And yet, we declare with joy and trust our world belongs to God. Because the treasure in the field, the, the pearl of immeasurable value, is that God is fixing everything. That God's vision of, this, of, of his kingdom is that vision that Pastor Bill prayed for us from Isaiah of, of the, the lion and the lamb together. It is that vision of everything that is wrong being made right. And that is a vision that when we capture it, it should fill us with hope and encouragement and, and, and peace for the, the, the reality of the world that we face, and yet it should also challenge us and, and, and inspire us to be a part of what God is doing to bring that shalom into every aspect of our lives, of our community, and of our world. That we would give all of ourselves, that we would sell everything we have because we have found something worth so much more, and that is God's vision of shalom. of universal flourishing. 
It's a scandalous story that dares to declare in a world that thrives on fear, in a world that thrives on division, in a world that thrives on saying it's all up to you to pick yourselves up by your bootstraps and make yourself and your life better. It is a a scandalous message to say, no, the treasure is what God has already done, and it is about joining ourselves to that work, about going from where we are to the field where the treasure is. And leaving behind my own attempts to fix myself and joining what God is doing in the world. And on one level, we need to acknowledge that that includes that individual hope of salvation. That includes the promise of grace. That includes the hope and assurance that my only comfort in life and in death is that I belong to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He has fully paid for all of our sins and set us free from the tyranny of the devil. And he watches over us in such a way that not a hair can fall from our head apart from the will of our Father in heaven. There is an individual hope of the gospel that we absolutely cannot lose sight of. That, we, that this shalom, this promise of peace and shalom of universal flourishing includes God clearing out whatever is keeping me from experiencing that fullness of life that he offers to me. That God is, is, has made right the relationship with him through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ such that there is that hope and promise of hope and peace for me, for you, for everybody watching and joining us online that whatever it is in your life that is keeping you from experiencing the peace and flourishing that God offers you, there is the grace of Jesus Christ and it is worth more than anything we can do to try to pick ourselves up by our bootstraps and to let go of that that perpetual need to try to make myself better and to better myself, but to join what God is doing is a peace that passes all understanding. It is a pearl worth more than anything else that I have ever found that we ever could find. And that absolutely, if we have not yet experienced that individual hope and promise, friends, I want you to know, whether you are online with us, whether you are here in this room, I want you to know that God wants to be in relationship with you. But we cannot miss the bigger picture of what God is doing in the world. The bigger picture of what Jesus invites us to be a part of, of being a part of bringing shalom in our communities and in our world. This week I had the opportunity through my work with Movement West Michigan We brought together leaders from six different aspects of folks working to help people have affordable housing. We had somebody who works with those who are experiencing homelessness, all the way up to folks who help people get into homes that are just sort of below market rate, and, and everywhere in between. It was astounding. The big picture and the small picture. The big picture reality of we need somewhere around 1,300 housing units just to meet the demand in the uh, Holland, uh, in Holland Township. It's 1,300 units just to meet the demand of the next three years of people who will be looking for housing. City of Holland, another uh, 1,500 just to meet the demand of what was expected to be in the next three years. And I am not an economist, but I do know enough of economics to know that when supply is low and demand is high, prices go up. And you can imagine the effect that that has down every aspect of our community. 
We just bought a house in December. And it was a nightmare. Right? If, you, if you try to get into a rental unit right now, the, the, the market is flush with people who want to get into rental units. So imagine if you have, and, and uh, somebody shared that they have just heard for the first time in our community rental units that are requiring four times the, the monthly rent uh, in income, being able to demonstrate four times the monthly rent just to be able to rent that unit. And by the way, the average price for a one-bedroom rental unit in our community is around uh, $1,100 a month. This means that there are extraordinary needs in our community. Good Sam Ministries has seen their intake calls double from 3,000 calls to 6,000 calls a year. Extraordinary needs, and yet the hope of the gospel is for universal flourishing. The hope of the gospel says that, that the church has something to say about helping provide a safe and stable place for people to live. This promise of shalom says that, that we as followers of Jesus Christ have a vested interest in being a part of this bigger picture conversation of how do we help you experience the fullness of life that God offers to you. And so with Movement West Michigan, we're looking at how do we bring, how do we connect churches to each other and to needs in the community and particularly around housing, around mental health and education. And the problem is, is that what I have seen and experienced is that so often we all know, to go back to the beginning of this message, we all know people who have said, I don't want anything to do with Jesus because their experience of Jesus has been mediated by and through a follower of Jesus Christ who reflected less than Christ-like attitudes. And so I was part of another housing conversation a couple months ago. And one of the ministries that was present said, wouldn't it be great if we could see the church come together to help uh, support and partner and help this thing happen? And it was one of our local elected officials who I've since had coffee with is a very nice person who said, you cannot count on the church to show up. It will either turn into a turf war or they will just be apathetic. When I had coffee with them since then, I said, she, she actually apologized. She said, I'm sorry, I'm a little jaded. And I said, no, thank you. I said, because if five years from now we can have coffee again, if we've seen that needle move at all, I will feel like God has used me to do some amazing work. Because that's one of my hopes and prayers is that we in the community would be known that when you need help, the church is going to show up. That when it comes to making our community a place where everyone can flourish, that the followers of Jesus Christ will be the people that make a difference. Because here's what happens. We are in dialogue with a, uh, a local community coordinator for one of the local schools. And the, these community coordinators, they sort of go, they gather needs from the school and then they go to community partners of all kinds, nonprofit organizations, government agencies, uh, churches, etc. And we said, hey, who are the churches that you're partnered with? And this person came back to us and said, we have several that we partner with, but there's one in particular that just meets our needs so readily that I don't need to go to anybody else. And then this was what she said next. She said, that church has single-handedly restored my faith in Jesus. When we, the followers of Jesus Christ, show 
up with this big picture vision of shalom, this treasure of greatest value. It makes a difference and it preaches the gospel. Not just me being made right with God, but this big picture vision of what God is doing in the world. It's a message of hope and peace that in a world which some seek to control and others view with despair, we declare with joy and trust our world belongs to God, that though the wrong seems oft so strong, God is the ruler yet. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you that you are watching over us, that you are ruling everything, that you have this big picture vision of what you are doing in the world and in the community. And I pray that you would inspire us with this big picture vision of shalom, of flourishing, and help us to see how we can be a part of it. May we, as individuals, as a community, as a worshiping community and as a, as a church, may we be ambassadors of that shalom. May we be people who point to that hope, who dare to live with the scandal that you are fixing everything that's broken and who demonstrate it through the way that we live. God, help me, help each and every one of us gathered here to see the ways that we can be jerks. Forgive us, help us to see it, and help us to live ever more wholeheartedly as those who know the value of your treasure, your gospel, your universal flourishing. In the name of Jesus we pray, amen. Let's stand and sing together those words from This Is My Father's World where we celebrate that promise through song.
Friends, hear this blessing from Romans chapter 15. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind towards towards each other that Christ Jesus has, so that with one mind and one voice, you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. Friends, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. Amen.